Welcome to No Challenges Remaining, part two of our Australian Open Rap Show. Recording right after we did our first part. I'm Ben Rothenberg, still here, Tamani Carroll. Hello, Tamani. Hello, I'm still here. We are still here. We're breaking this up. This is going to be the women's show and some miscellany, other general tournament topics we're going to cover here. I think there's less to say about this women's draw because for me, it was just very emphatic and clear what happened in this tournament. Is that Irina Savalenka was the best player here more clearly than she was last time when she won this tournament the first time. This was an emphatic title defense. We don't get many title defenses in women's tennis outside of Iga Svantec at the French Open. Hasn't happened lately. Uh, But Irina Savalenka did it, and she did it in imperious fashion, not dropping a set. She started off after that aforementioned in the last show, very late uh, Prismic-Djokovic match in the first round that went four hours. Uh, she opened uh, Sablanka in her first match against Ella Zeidel in six, Love 6-1 six, in less than an hour. Then she beat Fruvitova 3-2. and two. Serenko, Love and Love in the double bagel. Anissa Mova, we'll get to more later, 3-2 and two in the fourth round. Then Sablanka in the quarterfinals beats Barbara Krejcikova. Uh, two and three. Coco Golf was the big match in the semifinals. Uh, beat six and four in a tiebreak, and that was a good match. That was the match good in the match, tournament yeah. on the women's side in terms of quality and stakes and everything. That was good. And then she beats uh, Zhang Qingwen in the finals, six three six two. Zabalenka joins a rare group of people who've won this tournament without dropping a set. Not very many. Uh, Barty did it in her final tournament here in twenty twenty two. Serena did it in twenty seventeen. Only once in Serena's runs did she do it. I think Davenport did it in. 2000, and I think Sharapova did it in 2008, were the only ones in this century. So rare, and also even more than that, I mean, I think golf was the only person to get even four games in a set off of her, and she did it in both sets. But it was a very clean kill of a tournament for Arena Sabalenka here. Yep. And, yeah, I, I was... <laughs> <laughs> is that that's all there is to say, maybe? Yeah, I mean, not much else to say, but yeah, it was it's incredibly imp- impressive, particularly given... Uh, last year, just it's such a she had such a weird year last year. Just it was incredible in terms of her improvement and how she really stepped up, took the challenge from Striontek, won her first Grand Slam title, and was so consistent throughout the year. But then also had so many heartbreaking losses for such a great year at and all at all of the slams. She had a chance to had a match point at the French Open. Um, in the semi final again against Mukova, and then lost from five two up. She lost the last five games she was up we talked about this before again was up, yeah. up 6-4-4-2 on, on Jabir in the Wimbledon semis was up a, a set on on Goff um, in the US Open final but each time she bounced back she showed she showed an incredible resilience and just the ability to keep on moving and to take the right lessons from it you know we've seen so many times in the in the past year, past years particularly on in women's tennis when a, a player would be derailed by a particular match or something, you know, a, a particular loss. But she just keeps on going. And coming here, she had the pressure of a trying to follow up that big year, mm-hmm. having us, you know, her sophomore year. Two thousand points player. to defend here. Yeah, and also defending champion. And she dealt with it so well. Um, as obviously the the tennis was amazing. Just hit almost with the exception of golf, which we'll talk about in a second. She just hit everyone off the court and just was playing such clean, you know, easy tennis. And I think one thing that I guess we don't really talk about much is that she doesn't have many holes in her game. Now nowadays, her service her serve was great during the tournament. She's obviously a great returner. She, both ground strokes are great. She controls her own destiny on court yeah. in this way. That's really. I use the word imperious, but like it really is big, and it'd be interesting to see her playing against. Obviously, she didn't play, you know, the other 
big hitters here in terms of like Rabakina or um, even if you want to put Shantek in that category or even like Osaka, let's say, someone who's like a, a big power yeah. generating kind of player. She played uh, players who weren't quite like that. I mean, Zhang Chenwen is a, not, a, not a small hitter, but not that kind of player, not like no. this, the kind who goes out and dictates uh, in that way. But she, yeah, the thing with Sabalenka that gets me is that when it's working, well, actually more recently, like she just has this way of hitting the ball really hard but at big targets, like she's not, yeah. she's not trying to redline and not trying to hit lines yeah. and not playing high risk. It's this sort of like her just physical strength. And I was struck by her physicality from the first time I saw her, which was in Cincinnati in 2018, I think. And she was on a tear that summer, really rising through the rankings, watching her from the photo pit in Cincinnati. She's just like a big, strong athlete. And this kind of build that we don't see a lot in, in tennis, she's built almost more like, like a hockey player. Or something just in terms of the broad shoulders and the strong you know build that she has and she has that power and that that core strength and that you know lower body strength and everything just like she's just like big strong person who plays big strong tennis and it works and it's very imposing when it works as well like i said she hits the ball hard in the middle of the court and she hits a, her, her her rally ball is very hard there's almost nothing there's almost never any moderation of pace when except for if she gets into a slice rally she can deal with that she gets dragged into something, she can she mix it up. But her plan A is just hit the ball hard at big targets, and it's good enough that it knocks almost every other player on their back feet, and she can control from there. And yes, Coco Goff in the semifinals was the one player who could hang with a bit and, and challenge her at times, and Sabalenka was better in the big moments. And it did feel like Sabalenka, um, or that Goff was kind of hanging on at parts of that match and did a great job to make that first set competitive because it looked like... Sabalenka was running away with it, then Goff got up 6-5 and serving for it, and then Sabalenka broke back. They kind of both nearly stole the set from each other before Sabalenka finally got it in the end. Um, but that was the only real kind of drama of the entire tournament she had was that one set. And so her just her her A game, and this was her A game at this tournament, was just much better than everybody. And it was kind of like, it was very, it was unsatisfying if you care about this like on like a drama level, on a suspense level, but in terms of seeing a great player be great and show why they're great and beat people soundly in the vein of like peak Serena, the vein of peak Shantek, if you want to put her that way, the vein of peak uh, Federer, whoever, Nadal, like this was that kind of tournament, uh, granted only her second, but just her sort of saying, here I am, I'm the best, watch me win. Yep. It'll be quick, it'll be efficient, we'll have time for, for dinner and drinks afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I, I personally, I'm just happy to see someone a player at such a high level we, we saw how um Shiontek inspired and pushed other players particularly Sabalenka to push her game to new levels and that this should be a message to Shiontek yeah to to keep up or or that this is what will happen on one side I was again I was impressed how she dealt with the difficulties after the Australian Open and how she came back and has performed so well um last year's Australian Open how, how she performed so well this year um, and I, I also think, as I was just reflecting on her her victory, I would thought it was very in, instructive just the way she was behaving off off the court. You know, this, she was signing her her, um, her fitness coach's head, her fitness coach's bald head, yeah, <laughs> with her autograph and playing around and being really goofy. And I think she's people, a goofball. She's very good. And, and I think I people, don't know. There's been a champion that's goofy. No, and I think people really finally got that. This year, in a way that maybe you know they see her on court and how fierce and you know driven she is, and they just assume that she's like that off court. But I think people really kind of start to understand how silly she is. And I think 
in in the past we, we've seen how with other players and their camps and the way they the way they are off courts how serious it is how I mean some of the way the interactions between female players and their coaches yep. just awful at times yeah. and it, it really I think to me Sabalenka really demonstrates the importance of having a light-hearted you know, just having a positive it works for group her. people around and not not necessarily to, people don't need to sign their coaches heads <laughs> that that's not the winning you know formula but just having a, a positive group of people around you they seem to really get on well and um, her coach Anton Dubrov seems very relaxed and yeah. just they just seem to get each other and that's you need that environment when you're going out there under so much pressure every, every other day to compete totally it's just like it feels like just like playful and fun and low, not low stakes, but it may, it feels like, yeah, just like light with them, and just like goofy, and un- and obviously she does get stressed in matches for sure. She's very intense on court. Obviously, anyone who just close your eyes and listen, you hear the intensity of her with her her screaming, grunting, you know, during her matches. She's an intense person, but she also has this this ability to, yeah, just kind of be seeing the bright side of things. And I think that she has, you know, talked a little bit about Sinner's like charisma and his appeal as a as a different champion. Sabalenka too. I think that I think that fans actually are quicker to gravitate towards her. Like I'm talking about like hardcore, like social media, like tennis diehards, like enjoy her more readily sometimes than do media. I think media actually has been kind of slow to get the Sabalenka thing in a lot of ways. She's not the most articulate person in press or the most you know engaging or person in press. I'll say honestly, I, but I, I did think she was a lot better. She was this, better here. Yeah, better here for sure. Just, just more like. Open, exactly, you know, and and just, and just yeah, but more she, comfortable, I guess. right? Yeah, but she's not. She still like doesn't check all the boxes that people necessarily. And she doesn't play tennis. Like I think someone described her tennis. I forget who this was as like heavy metal tennis. She plays this tennis that's like very like loud and kind of deafening. And but not just talking about the, the grunting. I'm talking about like the actual tennis. Like it sort of just like drowns out whatever else is happening on the court. It's actually very hard if you're. I, I talked video editors who do this to make like highlights of a Sabalenka match. She doesn't play a lot of long rallies. She plays like boom, boom tennis. It's very dominant. It's very dictating, and it can be very staccato in its way of of setting the tone. And yeah, just not playing the sort of lyrical long rallies that a lot of people get lulled into. She's not that way. She she plays this, yeah, like very very staccato tennis, very very stop start tennis, very boom boom tennis that just is quick and and yeah, and that that. that not everyone gets on that wavelength. Not everyone enjoys that tennis. But looking at the results, you can you can, you have to respect the results of it, the effectiveness of it, the skill of it. Her tennis, like you said, you talked about this, I think, in the year-end show or something. The fact that we have these two women in the rankings who are over nine thousand points, which for people who like look at these rankings a lot, you know, that's a very high bar to hit. There have been times in a couple of years ago where that there wasn't the, the threshold, but there are these two women both racking up these consistent wins and dueling with each other in in Sabalenka and Sviantec. They're going to, I assume, trade back and forth the number one ranking again this year at different points uh, as different points come off the rankings for each of them. It's just on a pure, like, hoping the tennis is good and competitive, her raising the bar from already number two to being, to defending those points. But again, we don't defend titles lately. I think she's just like a super uh, credible, creditable champion yeah. who, who just, you have to, you have to, like, just tip your cap and say, like, you're, too, you are so much better than everybody here. Yeah. And, I have to say, I will be very, very disappointed if we don't see Triontek and Zabalenka play each other at at least some big tournaments this year. Because yeah. it hasn't had, if you think about it... They, hasn't they, happened at a slam. No, and they had to, they played in back-to-back tournament weeks during the clay season. 
But then after that, they played once, I think, before the, the whole... Well, they have played in once in... Oh, I'm sorry, Cancun. Yeah, right? in, yeah. in the shit show of the year. Sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't fine. be sorry. That's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, so that that was actually quite disappointing to me that they... Just as it seemed like they were building this rivalry, they didn't really play much after the, that. The rivalry that has been building more is actually a sub like a golf. These two have played each other a bunch. They play each other in the final of the U.S. Open. They played this match in the semifinals here. This was this was the match of the tournament. And again, a tournament that was not, I would say, not the best tournament, not the most memorable tournament, I think, in a lot of ways. Let's say I don't think we remember much of this tournament, but this was a, a high-caliber match of a number two versus number four uh, the rematch of the previous slam final and the next slam semifinal, that's the kind of continuity you want to see. And golf, you know, I think has to be, oh, should be okay with this result for sure. I mean, making semifinals after winning that, I mean, no woman has won uh, her, it's just a plug for the book I'm making, sorry, but no woman has won uh, the next slam after winning her first slam as since Naomi in uh, 2018 US, 2019 Australia. It's very hard to do. And so even making it to a semifinal is pretty rare as a next effort because almost always there's some big letdown that comes. Uh, but Goff played well, got some easy wins early, and then gutted out this really ugly match against uh, Marta Kostik in the quarterfinals. And yeah, and, and she showed that she, while still being also, you know, I think visibly at times a work in progress, Goff, she wins a lot. And she's learning to win with, you know, not just her B game, but that Kostik match was like her D game at times. And, sure. and she managed to, to gut it out and that was impressive in its own way. And yeah, when she got to Sabalenka, she elevated and, and held her own in a you know six, seven six six four loss that was entirely respectable and the toughest match by far that Sabalenka had in this tournament. So yeah. and, and, and was, good effort from her. Yeah, Ross. and I, in that match, she, I mean, she was outmatched initially. Sabalenka served for the, the first set, like 5-3 or something. Then then Sabalenka wobbled a bit and got tight and Goff took advantage. Um, but I was, I was really impressed just with the exception of when Goff served up the, the first set, yeah. her, the way her forehand held up, obviously that's the big thing that people are constantly looking at and it was facing immense power and, and pace and um, weight from the other side from Sabalenka and that held up well. Again, she she had her shot, that one shot serving out the first set and couldn't take it and then Sabalenka took control again. But also the second set was really high quality from start to finish. Um, so I think again I agree she she did well that you can't obviously I'm, she, she wants now that she's a slam champion she wants to win every tournament she plays but winning winning a slam and then following it up with these consistent victories winning a starting the year with the title and then a semi final at the Australian Open is very good stuff really. We mentioned that we did some sidebars in the men's show the previous episode. If you didn't mention, if you're just a women's fan, didn't listen to that one about golf a couple of times about the the Serena fake news dress story and about the uh, the USDA image. I didn't really. I don't know if I got your opinion on that, but what did you think of golf getting so worked up about the USDA uh, cartoon? I just found it funny, particularly when, when, <laughs> when just imagining because she said she was good, she was going to do something, but she ended up just being at, at home all day hotel, after yeah. her practice in a hotel. Yeah. And so she was just, she got busy online. And it was just so funny. Across all platforms. Yeah. It was so, the, the, like the comments she was leaving on the Instagram page where she was like, this is terrible. No, this is so bad. This is the worst. And yeah, I, I, it was amusing. And I was also amused by her in her, in the following press conference when she was asked about it. That was the longest answer she gave where she was insisting that she was, you know, it was a joke. And I, I believe her. I think, it was a bit annoying. It's, it's performative it's not, at a certain point. Yeah. 
But yeah. it's it's so it's so fun. It's all jokes. Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's, and it's a fun low stakes story. Yeah, exactly. I, I enjoy. I love that. love a low stakes story. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So Sabalenka wins. Sabalenka, like I said, set up for big things. I think she can win another slam this year. Certainly with the level she played. Yeah. Easily. On any surface. On any surface, she can. You know, hell, like it's funny. I was looking at the as I was walking out of the ground. Um, there's the the draw board on the side of Rod Laver Arena that has the photos of two defending champions of Sabalenka and Djokovic. And I was like, well, one of you defended. I was not thinking it would be this one, but one of you did defend Sabalenka. So you kind of reach a different uh, level when you re- win a second slam, you know, to consolidate. And three, even more so than that, it puts you in pretty rare air quickly. And yeah, I think she can contend at all three. We avoided... Go ahead. I just wanted to... I was, um, I guess, maybe amused. I don't know if that's the right word, actually. But by her saying that someone asked her if she was motivated by being a multiple slam champion and she responded I don't want to be one of those players who wins one slam and then disappears and I just I like that line and I think she's in it to keep on winning and she's more than capable as tennis, we, as, as, we, is good enough. as we saw last year when she put herself in position to yeah. to win multiple slams really she's more than capable so yeah that this is a message to start the year and and let's see who who responds we never know when things change. Obviously, as we said in the previous show about Djokovic, things can end abruptly, but Sabalenka, there's turning up for sure, and I would buy her stock even at the current current high price. We managed to avoid, just want to mention on Sabalenka, because we just talked about, we avoided what could have been a really strange scene in the final had qualifier Diana Shremska won her semifinal against Zhang Chinwen, which she was leading early in that match. Shremska, Ukraine... One of several Ukrainian players who did very well at this tournament. Uh, she made the semifinals as a qualifier, winning eight matches. A whole lot of matches to win at a Grand Slam. Rarely been done. Uh, Marta Kostyuk also made the quarterfinals. Elena Svitolina, the top Ukrainian woman, made the fourth round and was playing really well. And then had a yeah. back injury. Very abruptly had to pull out against Linda Noshkova. That was a downer. Bummer for sure. And actually, um, Sabalenka did beat another Ukrainian, Serenko, in the third round double bagel. Where are we at with this? The war is about to enter its third year, starting next month. There's no end in sight of it, really. Is this, I got, you know, I did an interview on BBC World Service and they were asking about this question, which I almost sometimes stop thinking about, but it's still obviously very real in terms of the the status of, of these players on opposite sides of the war existing on tour and the flaglessness and the redaction and what sort of Russian uh, Anna Kalinskaya make the quarterfinals here as well. It's not just Sabalenka and two countries and the Ukrainian women are trending up. They're setting up for a big year for them. So they have be more of a factor on tour potentially this year. Is this is this is this sustain? Is can this last? Is this a lasting, quote unquote, piece or truce or whatever in tennis? Or is this gonna? And Olympics are coming up too, which is its own factor. But I feel like it's neglectful not to mention that in this athletic conversation. I do, I do think that players have generally accepted how things are now. You saw even with Serenko and Sabalenka. I think in the past there was. There were issues between Sabalenka and uh, and uh, Serenko specifically, yeah, yeah. And, and her coach, yes. and, and issue things that happened behind the scene, her coach approaching Sabalenka, and yeah, apparently, well, I won't say it, but yeah, there were there were issues. But in in that match, you saw the handshake. They they very there was no handshake, yeah. but they very clearly acknowledged each other and said thank you. And I think they, I, I do think people have kind of moved on from that. Sabalenka was good about it when I asked her about it because I asked her about it in the wake of when Yastrzemska was still on court in the semifinals being like you could be in a grand semifinal where the two players will not be photographed together like what is this this is gonna be this could be really weird this could be very unusual and 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 unprecedented right to have a a runner-up or presumably runner-up she's presumably gonna lose if she got to that match sorry Yastrzemska 
not be in the photos with the champion. Like, it would be a whole unusual thing. And I thought that her response was actually very mature. And, like, I understand their position. They have the position. We know at this point. We get it. Respect it. They're doing their thing. Um, not Matt. You know, she was pretty good. Azarenka gets more annoyed by this question. I think it's less less sort of yeah. statesmanly about it, actually. But uh, Sabalenka, I thought, was good. I, I do understand, actually, from both uh, Ukrainian players and the, the Russian and Belarusians, players who are just annoyed by the actual focus on the handshake or the lack oh, of the handshake, handshake yeah point. I don't care about the handshake because itself yeah, yeah. yeah because we we know how it is and that this is how it is and I think everyone well most players have accepted it and may, maybe they do but at least in, in public like Sabalenka no longer taking it personally no longer you know, seeing it as an, a personal issue or grudge against them yeah so yeah it seems I, I do think that that certain issues like if they were to play in the semi-final together or the Olympics might end up, you know, this might flare up again and there might be some more heated discussions. But in general, I do think that players have kind of accepted, you know, even if clearly the, the Ukrainian players did not want um, Russians or Belarusians on the tour, but it seems like they've accepted how it is and, and also just probably recognise that there are more important issues to discuss, right? At, 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 even from the... the Ukraine, Regarding the war. Yeah, regarding yeah, the war, sure, and that playing, you know, whether or not Sabalenka is playing, isn't you know, they're, they're more important things when people are dying. I mean, Kostyuk was was very animated by what happened in when she won her fourth round match yes. against uh, Maria Timofieva, who was one of the rising Russians who played really well at this tournament and beat uh, Wozniacki and Haddad Maya and and Cornet all of this tournament and had a really good run to the fourth round. Um, name people hadn't hadn't watched a lot of probably. Uh, the U.S. Open in their social media posts had a little scoreboard graphic of this match and, and put the Russian flag there, and she was very exercised about that. It was a choice of, of all the of all the matches to do that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't understand why they need to put that graphic up anyway for that match, but they, um, yeah, they look. They, they it's still there. I you know these things, and obviously the war is the, the world and the wars in the world are a mess right now. And you know we had this this uh, protest during very brief protest during the women's final of the people with the Palestinian flag shouting free, free Palestine who got yanked out of the stadium very quickly and booing from the crowd, which I don't really appreciate. I think no. I'm, I, I, no. I thought this is a shift in myself in the last like year or so, but I'm like very, I don't want to say, yeah, I'm like pro protester at this point. I'm not um, for sure. Yeah. Like if, if, if you're, you know, if you're in this bubble of tennis and someone chooses to burst that bubble and remind you that people are getting slaughtered in Palestine, I can't be mad at, like, I can't, like, I can't say, like, how dare you, you know, like, violate this tennis match yeah. for, I, for real-world events. And it's one thing if, if someone jumps on the court and there's, you know, potential danger. danger. Yeah. It's another thing if you're sitting in a... In Shouting the in the stands, yeah. yeah. You with shouted a with a flag. Yeah, it's exactly. Not, like, it's not an issue. There have been climate protesters, too. I remember one woman, I think it was, in Australia at a men's final a few years ago who, like, leapt onto the court and I was like, I thought you just, like, broke your legs. It was like, it was like a <laughs> no, three-meter it's, like it's a long yeah. drop. And I was like, this is just dangerous. Like, so don't do things that are dangerous, endangering yourself or others. Or, or at the US Open. Or gluing where... your feet to the ground. <laughs> I was thinking, that's remarkable that I took that, that was such a long, such a long delay, that one. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I support those sorts of things. I'm, you know, I'll say, like, there have been, I've gotten a few tweets, like, Will you know there be push in in tennis and maybe come for higher tennis in terms of the IOC in terms of what's going on with Israel now? There's not currently any really top Israeli players in able-bodied tennis. There is a, a, a 
wheelchair player, I think quad made the final of an Australian Open Israeli guy. Not not as big an issue in terms of the having players on both sides as it is, as it is in women's tennis. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, Israel is also something to, to monitor and see how these things happen and what the Olympics look like, if it's going to be some other euphemism for Russia, like Olympic athletes from Russia or whatever it has been in the past or um, Russian Olympic Committee or... I mean, personally, I would have no problem with Russia being banned from the Olympics and all athletes and having no neutrals from those countries, especially like to the point where they're on teams together or like in doubles even together. Like you guys are together because you're from the same country and it's Russia. <laughs> it's it's Russia. Yes. Like, so anyway, I think, that, I think, I think the gray rectangle thing is kind of a farce at times. I don't know if I believe in this neutrality, but I understand it. But I do. Yeah. I, you mentioned Israel. Yeah. The, I mean, the question is, if you if you're gonna ban Russia, the whataboutism has to. I mean, like, like yeah. but good faith whataboutism yeah. at a certain point. Like, why is it only Russia and Belarus when there's other? And this is the thing that happened when this bans and these red flag redactions, or you want to call them, first started. People were like, "What about the U.S. starting wars?" It's like, okay, we can get to that next time that happens. Yeah. And now this is happening with yeah. with Israel, certainly, and they're and they're and they're bombing and getting taken to you know. ICJ, I don't want to get to, I don't I haven't been following the very recent developments too closely honestly during the tournament, but obviously there's this huge international outcry about them. And if there was, uh, again, it's not relevant to tennis so much because there's not really a lot of Israeli players. There are some, there's not zero Israelis on tour, but not a significant number the way that Ukraine and Russia. And that's what made it his, made such a tennis story is having yeah. women, especially on both sides of these uh, battle lines here. Speaking of another tennis country with complications and opportunities, let's say, Zhang Chinwen was the uh, finalist here at this tournament. She had a remarkable run playing a bunch of players outside top 50, and it was very hard to get a read on her level, honestly. She starts her tournament winning against Ashlyn Kruger in three sets and beats Katie Boulter, who has been playing well. Katie Boulter, uh, three and three in the second round, then she beats in a very tight match in the third round, fellow uh, Chinese player Wang Yafan, third set tiebreak. Then Zhang beats Oshian Dodan, who was in a fourth round for the first time at a slam. Then Zhang beats Anna Kalinskaya after losing the first set. And that was when the draw was like really like Because Zhang very early on was like this top half fell apart. And Zhang was the only seeded player into the quarterfinals even. And by the quarterfinals even, it was already four women who never made a semifinal of a slam previously. But Zhang didn't fold with that opportunity. And it's like she beat Kalinskaya coming back to win the second and third sets. And she beats Yashemska 4-4 four and four in a very solid match. Yashemska was playing well at this tournament. Shemska had some good wins over, um, I've mentioned her briefly here, uh, Vondrosheva first round, Gracheva, Emma Navarro, who's been playing very well, that's a good third round win for Yashemska, and then she beats Azarenka in the fourth round as well, then Linda Noshkova uh, in the quarters. So good run for Yashemska into the semifinals. Uh, interesting to see her back in the mix. She's a big personality and a very uh, high drama presence on the yeah. tour in a lot of ways. So she'll be interesting to have in the mix. But Junction went. What did you make of, of her run to this title? She obviously was not super competitive in the final. The final lasted about an hour and 15 minutes or so. Uh, three and two loss to Sabalenka, but feels like a step in the right direction to make a final. For sure. Take care yeah. of business. For sure. And particularly in a in a draw where so many seeds lost, she um, clearly that, that the draw she had was by one, I mean, let's be honest, one of the least strong, I can say weakest, runs to a final that I've, I've ever seen, history, really. Yeah, yeah that I've ever seen. Not facing a top top fifty player is quite crazy, but still, she was a favorite in every one of these matches. In in matches 
in in rounds and that she you know at, at a point in the tournament she'd never played in before and she dealt with it very well she handled her business she got to her first final she's this wasn't some random player who no. made it through she's been and um, she was the newcomer of the year one year and the most improved player the next year she's 21 years old and i think this will be a, a big two weeks in, in her kind of pathway and her career and, and continuing to grow as a player um i think yeah the reality was that because she hadn't performed that she hadn't played any top player and sudden suddenly you're standing up against sabalenka who's you know, rushing you for time and in good form, not yeah, just like Sabalenka, but like Sabalenka playing some of her best yeah, tennis ever, playing such a uh, such a high level, and that the the jump in level was just I had expected too much. No, I expected nothing less. Yeah, I mean, like, exactly. I nothing more. I should say from that match, really. I mean, like I, you know, I was saying I was sitting with people in the match in the stadium, saying I thought that the time would be like about an hour twenty, It'd be like a you know kind of, and it was a little bit less than that in the end because she saved like five match points in the final game or something to extend it a bit. I mean, there was the protest also briefly that ate up a couple of minutes. Um, yeah. But yeah, she, she was overmatched, but she gets into the top 10. She's at number seven, I think, in the rankings yeah. now through this. And she'll be a name people know. She's just calling card now, Australian Open finalist. We'll see what she reacts. And the other thing I want to say about Zhang Qingwen, like, uh, she has this, like, she's ready for the spotlight in a big way, like, personality wise. Like, she has this sort of stage presence. She really embraces the queen nickname. She thinks <laughs> she's like owns that in this way that's very like, yes, I am a queen. Thank you. Uh, and it's like very, it's, it really embraces Lena comparisons, which a lot of players certainly seen this in the U.S. a lot with various uh, black tennis players being called the next Serena or, or, or Venus, whatever, and, and usually Serena, and kind of distance themselves from it a bit. But with Lena, who's obviously a different player than Serena in some ways, John Chinwen is like very much like yes, yes, Lena, absolutely. Yeah, every and, time. And, and they and she really and not clear they spent have spent tons of time together or were talking at any real length here, but they did meet each other once and, and a little video about it. Um, and Lena came up and uh, and and slapped the butt of John uh, uh, <laughs> Chinwen very hard, and uh, it was a funny funny uh, moment in the video. And they were excited to see each other and just some warmth. And it was also really interesting to me seeing this tournament seize on this Chinese story. And seeing all the social media stuff, I don't know if you saw like the posts they put on Weibo or like the art they did. They like special art, uh, yeah. their designers for Zhang Qingwen stuff. Like this is a big deal for this tournament having this Chinese uh, opportunity. And obviously, China and its relationship to women's tennis was a huge story over the past you know many years. And we've talked about this on the show at length in our Women's Year interview. If you want to go listen to that, about how much they sort of bet on China. Uh, lost for, for women's tennis, and that gamble didn't pay off with the pandemic and the and Peng Shui and, and, and the financial crisis in China now, all these things leading to that 10-year deal imploding. I mean, in theory, we should still be in Shenzhen deal territory. I mean, we should, this would be what, roughly, it was on track year six or so of the 10-year deal in Shenzhen, if that had gone to plan, but it obviously didn't. And so Zhang arrival would have been different in that, in that moment, had the tour final still been there, had Wuhan still been on the calendar. Wuhan, I think it's like, TBD on the calendar yeah. last I saw. I think it might come back. I think it's coming back this year. Okay, it might come back. But yeah, but obviously there's been struggles. Still some remnants of zero COVID policy happening in China, I've heard. And it was just interesting seeing all the, there's so much Li Na content from the tournament, so much Zhang Qingwen content. And there are lots, and, and it wasn't, you know, all contrived. There were lots of Chinese flags in the stadium for Rod Laver Arena. Lots of Chinese, lot of Chinese fans, fans chanting, chanting Jayo and stuff yeah. for. Uh, like in uh, unison, yeah, it was, it, was, it was impressive. Yeah, there's lots of big groups of them, and you could kind of see it for both matches, like 
people who buy tickets late for not obviously not in advance usually get tickets in the corners of yeah. the stadium. So there are these yeah, corners yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of, of, for both Sinner and the Italians actually, and um, for for Jung in the finals. People who are like player driven purchases, um, they don't sell in advance, I guess. Where we yeah, were there for Chuck Chin Wen. So that was great support. And she, and, and like I said, she has this sort of presence and she owns it. And <laughs> she comes to press late with her hair all done. This is the whole thing. I, I, did, I did enjoy it um, in her uncle interviews. She'd always want to take the mic. Yes. <laughs> and at some point, some, maybe, I don't know who, maybe Dokic or some, or, or Pekovic just gave it to her. Yeah. He gave her the mic. <laughs> and I wanted, also, regarding Lee, she said this last year during the French Open, but I still love the quote. I used it in my the article I, I wrote for her, about her here. Um, she was asked about Lena again, and, and as, as always, her face lit up. It was, you know, the brightest answer she gave. And she said, after Lena, tennis became a more popular sport in China, thanks to her. She also put a dream seed in my heart that I want to become like that. It's so great. poetry. It's great. It's great. No, it, it, her her English is actually probably better than Lena's. Actually, Zhang Chiwen, I think, at this, certainly this stage of her life, and yeah, a lot of coaches, uh, yeah. obviously, with speaking English and management too. Yeah, she she's she's an interesting. She's a, she's a fun character to be around. I had not spent a lot of time with her before this term. I think I'd been one or two her press conferences in twenty twenty two, but not tons. So getting to be with her here, I I enjoyed her. Let's talk about. The number one player in this draw, us going through some deeper rounds, Iga Svantec, who, as we said in the tournament, got dealt a nightmare draw, and it bore out that way. I mean, she plays a very, very tough first set against Sophia Kennan when she wins in a tiebreak. Kennan served for it. Kennan did serve for it. Yeah, that was a very tight match. Kennan was ready for that match. Kennan loses ultimately 7-6-6-2, but good effort from Kennan. A tough draw for Kennan, for sure. She could have beaten a lot of players here in that form. She could have made the final okay. with other draws, you know, arguably <laughs> with the Zhang path. I mean, who knows? Danielle Collins, Shanta gets the next round. Collins was playing great, up 4-1 in the third set on Shanta. Real upset alert. I have my upset alert sort of tweets ready. Double going. break. Double break, 4-1, exactly. And Shanta reels off uh, five games to, to take that win. 6-4, very emotional big win. And then in the third round, uh, she plays Linda Noshkova. It was not one of the more talked about people in her tough draw, but Noshkova, who's a fast-rising Czech team, Still a teenager, I think, right? 19. 19, yeah. Uh, she loses the first set to Shantek, but then wins the next two and beats Shantek in three uh, by a score of 3 6, 6 3, 6 4 for Linda Noshkova. Noshkova ultimately makes the quarterfinals and loses to Yashemska. But what do you make of this run for, for Iga? I, I got to say, I thought this was sort of just like a cumulative thing. I felt like, for in a way that was not totally dissimilar to Medvedev over a longer stretch, but just her, sort of her accumulating damage and playing. And not playing amazing, but battling. I don't know what did you make of this of this result, this underwhelming result for obviously the number one seed to lose in the third round. Yeah, I, I think it was really impressive how she came out in that second round and turned it around. Yeah, even even in the final stretch, she didn't play her best, but she just locked, you know, locked up, refused to make errors, and banked on Collins. Collins dipped, which is which is what happened. But yeah, and, but I agree as a cumulative thing. But at the same time, she didn't really f- just find her feet in the tournament. And Noskova played great, yeah. great match. As always, the same type of player troubles her. The players who can step up, take the ball early, attack, and rush her. And so yeah, it, it was a great, good performance from Noskova. But it was it was disappointing just from the perspective of a number one and and how. Consist at a consistently high level, she's played. She's a great, she's a great so character to have around in the mix. Like losing her, you do feel like you lose a lot yeah, in this tournament. She's sure. a big presence with yeah. tennis right now. Yeah, as number one, but also just as yeah. a presence. I do think again, this was a very a tough draw, and and maybe if if it was different, 
it would have gone differently. But her Sam record is not great um, over the past. She's only made it semi-finals of one of the last five slams, I think. Yes, that's correct. Which and Sablang has made all the semifinals. Yeah. So big delta there. Yeah, and it's a massive contrast between those slam results, aside from for the French Open and her her results on a day to day basis on the tour. Yeah. I think clear. I mean, clearly, in my opinion, there's she's uh, there's a lot of pressure on her shoulders. She's feeling more pressure. Target on her. Yeah. I mean, you see like Collins and and Cannon and Noshkova all obviously like being on labor, being like, okay, I'm going to step up and give this everything I have, and Collins especially just like. The sort of way that she can, um, what's that, you know, uh, uh, take the rack out your hand. Can't take the rack out your hand. I was going to say more sort of like prowl. Yeah. I was say prowl. But it's like clearly like going for it. Like has a certain kind of like energy that she has, which we saw her devour Shantek with in the semifinals here two years ago. She did devour. Did her. devour her. Yeah. Collins, by the way, uh, says after said after a match very abruptly that it was me her last year on tour, which. And it was interesting hearing later that day uh, Sloane Stevens react to that news in her press conference and being like. Let's let's wait a minute and see if that she's hurting upset about losing or what she really feels like. But she, you know, she is thirty. She, it, it, was, it was just interesting, sort of having the Sloane denouement to that that news, a very abrupt news uh, from Collins. What was also interesting, Sloane's um, match order, the smoothies and, and sushi. Oh yeah, so Sloane. <laughs> let's talk about Sloane actually. Sloane, I feel like is we're kind of jumping around the door here, but Sloane made third round. Sloane actually, I feel like was one of the big sliding door this tournament yeah, felt a have. lot different yeah. if Sloan had not lost in the third round to Kalinskaya Kalinskaya this very stealthy kind of run for this tournament beating Valenets Roos Stevens Paulini to make quarterfinals and nearly beat Zhang and then who knows what happens if she gets to the semis against Shremska because she was playing very it's very solid she's not a flashy player Kalinskaya but she's just Monitor, like yeah. but, but she's just like a solid steady player who just like puts the ball in good places and and but anyway, Sloan in this tournament, yeah, you mentioned the food, that's the end. But Sloan beats uh, Gadekski in the first round, then Kasakina in a match on on John Kane. Big celebration from Sloan after that match, which she said was about people calling her flat, which she didn't say was Nick Kyrgios, but it was Nick Kyrgios. And then uh, and then she loses to Kalinskaya uh, in in three sets in the match. Like, and just in terms of the the top half feeling random and unproven, if Sloan had been in the mix in the quarterfinals, it would have felt very different. Just if you know, as a as a slam winning presence in there, even if she's not at her peak right now, I mean, it's just a, it's a missed opportunity. I mean, if Sloan is one of the the phrases of the decade, yeah, but, if Sloan, that's true. But she she did. But talk, she, she, you yeah. talk about her food though against Count Sky. That's what you brought up. No, I, I just it was, I liked I liked it. <laughs> Some people didn't. explain people what happened uh, during a really tough match against Count Intense match. Uh, what she said afterwards, I think she was just hungry, and so her team scrambled around. To, to get her something, and they came up with two packs of sushi and two smoothies. <laughs> so I don't even—it wasn't even her order. It was yeah. just she wanted something to eat, and <laughs> that was a an interesting choice from from her team. But yeah, it was, so it was just that was just amusing. Um, the, the thing is, she did. I think she left in in a positive mood, feeling like she you know, she'd won two rounds. The like um, Casacino was big for her. Yeah. And yeah, she played some good tennis. It just wasn't enough. And, and Kalinskaya was very solid this yeah. tournament. Kalinskaya is interesting. She's like when you watch her, she's like not doing much, but she yeah. hits winners. And she like it just looks like solid. It just looks like here's a player who's going to play a certain level. And if you're not there, and Sloane's lost her to Slam before. Sloane lost her yeah. to the U.S. Open before. So it's what's not out of nowhere. I want to briefly mention. I mentioned her and uh, Shremska's path, but Emma Navarro I got to speak to for the first time of this tournament. She's had a very impressive year. Starts a lot. Interesting, like confidence on her 
Um, and I think she could have also had a lot of runs in this tournament if he had run Yastrzemska, who was one of the tougher buzzsaws in this top half, really. And then when I discussed this match here in the second round, one of the big matches of the tournament, and probably the most memorable match of the tournament on the women's side, I would say, the second round win. Who would have thought this is the memorable match? And I was surprised it was on night session a bit, but it totally lived up to it on labor. Anna Blinkova of Russia uh, goes and wins a, a match against Elena Rabakina in a tiebreak that went 22 to 20 in the third set and 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 with dominoed into the long late finish for Medvedev later that night. But Rabakina winning a tough one on Pliskova and then losing to Blinkova, Rabakina made final last year, was one of the big names that dropped out of the top half as well. This was fun. This was, you know, uh, a wild scene and made me kind of miss the long final sets because I feel like so often you get you used to get those when a set of match would go into weird scoreboard territory. Have we talked about... We, we might have talked about my issue with extended sets. Go ahead. Well, my issue with extended sets is that it clearly was an issue on, on the men's tour with the Giants. Serbots. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It's, the, it's not a slur. You can say Serbots. <laughs> it's fine. But those extended sets and how long they went on for and how they can just hold forever. But when they decided to convert, to, to initiate tie breaks at the end of fifth set, they they did the same for the women, even though... Wasn't an issue for the women. Exactly. And the extended format of, you know, a best of three set match, the extended final set is, is really good. And it, it's, it makes... It's the best format yeah. in tennis, well, I in don't, my I, mind. In, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. but But just, it's a great format. And it also allows the best of three set matches to sometimes be quote-unquote epics, right? Yeah. And this was because of the crazy tiebreak, but you can't, that's that's one in a million. Yeah. And so, yeah, this was obviously a great match, but I do really miss those extended sets where you don't know when things are going to end. At this Again, tournament, like, remember Halep Davis? It was like 15-13 yeah. in uh, 2018? Yeah, and then she went 9-7 with uh, Kerber. As well. Yeah. Those are great. I, I love, I, I miss that a lot. I think I really do miss that tennis and... Like you said, this was one in a million. There were some some crazy moments. Obviously, so many match points on both sides. This 20, 20 it's like, it took more than half an hour. It was uh, really remarkable and just sort of a captivating, fun sports moment to have this this match. And I blink of a step up and blink of a played one amazing match point save, I think 17, 18 yeah. or something like that along the way. Um, and otherwise, it was just sort of, you know, some missed opportunities and a lot of, and pat, it was patchy, obviously, and obviously no one could win multiple points in a row. It did end the thing, uh, but it was really compelling and, and a fun watch. And it's sort of a, a fun sidebar sports moment that will be, it was record setter. It's the longest tie break in, in a Grand Slam ever. Obviously a bit of an asterisk because it's a 10-pointer and it was 9-7. And so if it had been a seven-point tie break, which is a, used yeah. to be all only thing for singles, it would have been over quicker in theory. But um, it's also it was also longer than... Um, Tomic. Yeah, Tomic Niemannen. Tomic Niemannen, that's right. Um, other results scrolling through, just to wrap up some of the women's stuff. Jess Pagula loses early. That was one of the more surprising results, also in the top half. Five, number five, C. Pagula loses uh, meekly 6-4, 6-2 to Clara Burrell. Yeah. That was that was surprising and, and concerning for her year to have this kind of shaky start yeah. after being so good, so consistent for so much. And, and it was, was not that. And it was also shaky at the United Cup as well. Yeah. It just wasn't a good start to the year. So yes. Still still early doors, but like it's not a good start. Definitely. Kostiuk, we mentioned, had a, a good run. You want to mention someone else in the top half? No. Emma? <laughs> of course I have to. It's my, yeah. You don't have to. Was her tournament remarkable? I don't it think was it was. Okay. No, she made second round. Okay. <laughs> we could deprogram you from those habits. Oh, let's talk about Naomi Osaka. Oh, yeah. uh, Naomi Osaka, subject of the new biography, Naomi Osaka, her journey to finding her power and her voice. By who? 
by myself, Ben okay. Rothenberg, available now. Oh, and if you've read the book and you enjoyed it, please leave reviews. It actually helps a bunch on Goodreads or on Amazon. So I don't have tons of reviews yet because people obviously have just gotten the book. So any reviews, especially positive ones, let's say on NCR, hopefully to a home crowd, would be really appreciated. So if you do that, uh, please let me know so I can thank you uh, for that because that would be very appreciative. Uh, Naomi Osaka got a tough draw in the first round against Caroline Garcia, and Garcia came out and played one of the best matches she's played in a long time, serving incredibly well, just pounding and matching Osaka for power. And Osaka didn't do much wrong, only got broken once in the match in a 6-4, 7-6 loss. Osaka um, leaves Australia with only one win, uh, but her two losses, people who saw them, actually were, I think, really good. There were some pundits. I, I saw some stuff in the U.S. about some oh, yeah. people being, like, Navratilova Navratilova being Navratilova, critical yeah. of her. And it's like, come on. Like, you, I don't think you watch this match if you're that critical yeah. of, of Naomi. Losing to these two very credible players in Garcia and Pliskova in the way she did in, the, in her first two tournaments back, I think there's, like, no knock. Obviously, Naomi wants more. Um, and Naomi joked that she was upset that she didn't get to wear her outfit more because her outfit was, in my opinion, the best of the Australian Open. It was an overall pretty lousy fashion Australian Open across the board. Why Yannick Sinner won this tournament in Puce? I don't know. But uh, Naomi is playing more tournaments in February. She's playing Abu Dhabi and I think Doha, maybe to Dubai. We'll see. What did you make of, of Naomi's tournament here and this match? And also Garcia then um, goes and loses to Magdalena Freck in the next round. That's good to Yeah. I thought she was, she yeah. I thought she was good. She looked good. She served, she served well. She was hitting the ball well. She wasn't, it wasn't good enough. Definitely, issue was her return. Just, she just wasn't seeing the returning at all. Returns at all. I think she needed to take a few steps back. Uh, kind of <laughs> both of them. It's, yeah. just, it's just crazy seeing such good servers trying to return each other's serves from inside the baseline or right on top of the baseline. Sometimes you. Please and Garcia was, was punishing the, the Osaka second serve really well. Yeah. But, um, the first serve. Yeah, but the first serve. No, but then, yeah, but like Gar- but Osaka played Garcia and Pliskova, who were two her two previous ace leaders, you know, year-long ace leaders for WTA. So. Yeah. It's also difficult that she didn't have much, you know, she didn't have an opportunity to play a player who would give her rhythm and all right. that. It was just first strike, serve, first strike. Yeah. Um, so I, it's a it's a good start. It's a start. It's been a, she's coming back six months after giving birth. It's right. it's so early days, and I I agree. I I saw that clip from Novatilova, and I think it was on tennis channel, and I, it it was very silly to me. Just the the, the ultra ultra criticism over. I mean, it was I mean it was about her weight, really. Let's be honest. Yeah. And about her yeah her her physical shape, and also. I mean, what really just irritated me was the comparison to Svitolina, who came back at lower level, lost matches to players ranked outside of the top 200, understood that it's a process, that you know it's not going to happen overnight. It ha- happened really quickly for her, and she got back up to speed quickly, but it still took... Months. Her, yeah, months, and her going through losses and fi- eventually finding the click um, yeah. and finding you know the, the, the results to give her confidence to play at a higher level again. This is going to take a, a while for Osaka. Obviously, it's, it's, it's no given that she's going to come back to her best, but it's very good to see her in tournaments, that she didn't just you know stay at home until Miami and Indian Wells. And again, the, the, some of the, the criticism said that she needed to just go back and train. I don't really think so. I, I think I w- I w- it's good to see her It's a matches. process. She needs matches, and you yeah. can't practice matches. Like The thing, her issue against Pushkova was breakpoint conversion. 
right? So you can't practice that. You have yeah. to go out there and, and learn and lose sometimes exactly. to, to shake off the dust. And yeah, so I thought it, it seemed like some really weird bad faith yeah. stuff that was being said about her that I was annoyed by. Yeah. Yeah. Change the subject. Okay. Wozniacki. Yes, Carolyn Wozniacki was here and lost early after beating uh, last year's semifinalist uh, Magdalenette on a retirement from Lynette early in the second set. Uh, Wozniacki loses to the, I think I mentioned her earlier, the sort of hotshot new Russian uh, Timofieva. Thoughts on Wozniacki? I, so last year I thought I was pleasantly surprised by her run to the fourth round of the US Open. I thought she did really well. Yeah. And then she shut down her season. I didn't get and, that. Yeah. She's and so she shut down her season, and then again after th- this match, she lost second round of Australian Open. Not great, not great first two round. Again, she's also she's coming back from be- being out for so long. It obviously takes time to get up to speed. Three years for her. But, pero, I just I'm <laughs> I'm not sure about this this approach and her, her her scheduling. Like she's Serena Williams, and that you know she can play just a few tournaments and still produce her best. That just seems so anti that. But and, and not Wozniacki. Just, just, yeah, that just seems so contradictory to the way she plays, her approach, her game style. Yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't add up to no. Me. When Wozniacki, honestly, when Wozniacki didn't enter like the, any of the Asian hard courts or even Guadalajara, for yeah. that matter, I was like, the hard courts are your thing, Caroline. What are you doing? Like, and you need matches. You need matches. You're brand new. Like, and just and because she was talking such a big talk in her Vogue comeback essay that she wrote, and she's saying like, I think I can win the U.S. Open. I think I can win Australian Open. Put yourself in no position to win, and obviously there was talking, talk, you know, big talk from her team saying she was playing well. But she lost; it was a tough draw. She lost first round of Auckland to Sitalina, yeah. and she lost um, second round here. So I don't know that she's entering a big Middle East swing, but I don't think she is. I haven't seen her on wild card lists yet, and she needs wild cards because she doesn't predict the ranking because she was out so long for three years. Um, she will need wild cards, and she'll get wild cards if she wants them. Yeah. But I'd like to see if she's serious about it, and maybe she's not. You have to consider that at a certain point, you know, and this is honestly something in in women's tennis, like in recent years, I think we've kind of had to figure out language for discussing some of these players who are older, and I'm not to say Venus Williams, you know, like how serious is Venus as a competitor right now when she's playing such a light schedule, getting hurt all the time, you know, sometimes she plays well and sometimes she plays poorly, like how do we talk about them, How 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 seriously... Do we take them as pundits? You know, obviously, like, respect for, obviously, people like Venus. People are happy Venus is still around and playing and enjoy watching her and get thrilled to see her on tour. But, you know, if we're ever being, like, serious about it, talking about her realistically, I mean, she's outside the top 400 or whatever and not meaningfully a, a relevant player competitively on tour. So, yeah. yeah. And, again, if, if you want to use Vitalina as, as an example, then she's an example of someone who was willing to, who yeah. had, was willing to do the work, was willing to accept the, the losses and to keep on playing and to, to find form again. And I just, again, I, I just don't really see Wozniacki as some, a, the type of player who can just dip in. Yeah. She she got to the top by playing matches, match after match, tournament after tournament, you know, finding a rhythm and, and playing really well and consistently for a long period of time. I don't, I just, I, I struggle to see, see the vision there. I want to apologize to listeners because I was planning on doing an episode early in the tournament. On the first day of the tournament, I actually got two interviews with two players who were in this part of the draw. Uh, Alicia Parks and Barbara Krejcikova. Went, and I had some audio problems with them. I had some microphone issues, which were my fault. I dropped my microphone and something was rattling around. And so they don't sound good. <laughs> so I was trying to fix them. Um, and then just ran out of time, honestly, a bit. I um, just had a lot of other work and exhausting stuff happening at the tournament. 
Um, but we'll try to bring you those in some form. I had never spoken to Parks before, but she was she was fun and uh, and enjoyed her as a presence. And Krejcikova also having a nice serve research and tournament to the quarterfinals, beating en route in the fourth round. Mira Andreva, who had a big strong result here, thrashing on Jabur in the second round, six love six two. Uh, Andreva really kind of finding her form and feels like she's on pace to be let's say a top 20 player this year like as a teenager I think she's really just she wins a lot yeah and she doesn't play a lot no. for, for obvious reasons because of age the age, role. age yeah. role, but she wins a lot yeah and she just seems to be developing really well she's such a smart player has a nice well-rounded game a good athlete just knows how to make players uncomfortable and I thought she obviously she played very well against a very bad Jabur. And then that match against Krejcikova was a good match, and Krejcikova just just used her the talent that won her a slam yeah. to to step up and and you know outplay Andreva at the end. But sure. that was good. And that for me, Krejcikova playing really well and playing top ten caliber tennis again. Obviously, she's with number nine seed here. That she was so uncompetitive against Sabalenka in the quarters also showed how well Sabalenka was playing. Yeah. I thought really. Uh, the other player, last player, I want to focus on here is the player who Sabalenka played in the fourth round. Uh, a, a surprisingly strong showing of this tournament, I think everyone would say, from Amanda Nisimova, who had barely played, who came back in Auckland, got a wild card there after taking a lot of time off last year. Nisimova had a tough draw, but stepped up in the first round and beat Lumila Samsonova. Uh, Samsonova, 6-3, 6-4, then beats Podoroska, and then Bedosa. Bedosa had a good run, too. Bedosa beating Pavlyuchenkova and Townsend. And a really strong, kind of strong section of this draw here that Nisimova made it out of, really. Nisimova loses 3-2 and two to Sabalenka. Too much too soon, obviously, for her, but and that one can beat everybody, as I said, as you would know from the first part of the episode. <laughs> but uh, Anisimova, nice to see her back, and still yeah. still can hit the ball. Yeah, she was, I mean, she was hitting the ball beautifully, and if you forget how just pu- it just it just it's just different. Yeah. There are a lot of players who can hit big, but just the timing and the, the cleanness, cleanness yeah. yeah, the purity, yes. <laughs> especially with her back end, it's just an ex- excellent shot. So yeah, it was, it was just great to see her um, just hitting so freely from so early into her return obviously she'd taken time off um to due to men, men, you know mental health issues she yeah, wanted burnout, just need, yeah. burnout needed a break from the sport she said that she um started training again like she'd ha- always had october in her mind and when it came she was ready so she started training then and just yeah started practicing yeah. and was ready according and, it's a good wd insider piece on her with some background on what she's been up to yeah lately that people should check out um yeah Great to see her back. And it's, again, testament to the sort of power of taking time off tour. Like, I recommend it. I said in the men's episode for Sitsipas, like, just do it. You know, like, it's going to obviously be scary. And obviously, Nismova was, was more fraught, and she was in, in sort of rough shape mentally. But there's a lot of luck to be said for, for stepping back and getting perspective and stepping off yeah. the ride. It like, was making you dizzy. Like Naomi Osaka in the, the book. Naomi Osaka finding her. <laughs> I can't do it. Her journey to finding her power, her voice. Yeah. Bye now. <laughs> and that covers the draws. There are some various miscellaneous things I wanted to cover in this episode as well. One of my favorite things... I'll just get to some other other draw results here. Most notably, a uh, woman who lost in the qualifying draw for the singles, but then won two doubles titles here uh, in women's doubles and mixed doubles. Shea Suwei wins her, I think, seventh and eighth or sixth or seventh uh, slam titles altogether. She has won four slam titles in the last eight months, three of them women's doubles, and the one mixed, her first ever mixed slam title. And this is her first time winning uh, hardcourt slams. Is that right? Maybe? I think so. Anyway, 
she's a delight as always. She still plays so well. Um, she really should be a Hall of Famer. I feel very strongly about that and just enjoy having her around doing her thing. That was part of that one wild day on the Thursday of the men's semis was also yeah. Shea winning a slam. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And so after the, her, her loss in singles, she re- retired from singles. Yeah. But she's still going and it's just, it's just so fun to watch and just one of the most unique players we've ever seen in my opinion and it's the, the partnership with what well, well, first of all I should say the fact that she did it with three different partners in, in the women's doubles yeah. Wang Jin Yu in French Open Shritsova in Wimbledon and Lisa Mertens yeah. here it's very Hing- Hingis Ian yeah. in my opinion um, but also it's just yeah I'd I like that that partnership is cool as well with, with Mertens they're, they're both Mertens is is it's it's less ta- less of the talent, but also smart and gritty. And she played well. Yeah, and, and she, she played well. Less talent, I mean, in terms of the, just the uniqueness of. Oh, she's not of, flashy. Yeah, yeah. But she's a smart player. She knows the way around, and and she's also building a really good career for herself as well in singles and doubles. So yeah. she, you can't deny that she's maximizing everything. World number one again. Because you haven't mentioned it recently enough, Elisa Mertens actually makes an appearance in Naomi Osaka, her journey to finding her power, her voice, in a, in a critical moment, uh, Lisa Mertens pops up uh, that you guys can enjoy when you read the book. And hopefully, like I said, leave reviews. I, I do appreciate that. Other other draws, uh, the men's side had the story of the doubles of uh, Rohan Bopana reach, uh, winning his first ever Grand Slam, remarkably, at age 43 and reaching the, the number too. one ranking. By far the oldest, um, and men's doubles has had a lot of older players, uh, you know, doing well before. Uh, this was a, an extreme version of that, yeah. having him at forty three have this breakthrough result, and particularly someone who was already prominent doubles player and quite, you know, yeah, he in, made his in, first slam final in like twenty ten, like yeah. with when, when back when he was with uh, Qureshi, yeah, and he's just been like a a name, yeah, like, one of the constant names, yeah, and one of the few really who are I don't know. So yeah, it's big, big. You can last long time. He's also interesting in that like I have zero remember him ever playing singles. Bopana. Yeah. Do you? I think so. Yeah. I don't remember him playing singles at all. Yeah. But anyway, I'm just saying he's been a doubles only guy for a very long time, and and the persistence of that is 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 noted. Wheelchair results. Uh, there's this Japanese teenager Tokido Oda who who's been tearing it up on that side of the men's wheelchair singles lately. He beats Alfie Hewitt in the final. Uh, on the women's side, Didi De Groot beats wins her 14th straight. Slam. She doesn't get talked about a lot. She's not the the flashiest player, and not doesn't have like the the kind of obvious stories besides winning all the time. But like the numbers she's putting up are crazy. And obviously, she's just commander Esther Vergier, who put, sets a super high bar for women's singles. Um, and then the men's side, uh, sorry, the quad side rather, was won by Sam Schroeder of the Netherlands. There, uh, junior results also a junior winner on the boys' side. The singles, um, able-bodied singles, Ray Sakamoto. Uh, another Japanese guy who was a sort of a ham, M- much in the way that Oda is too on the wheelchair side. But he has this. Uh, you look at me confused. I need you to explain the word ham. ham. Oh, ham. A ham. 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 I, 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 that, that's you don't not, have that. You that's must not have British that. English. No, you do have that word. I'm sure. Ham means someone who's like theatrical and performing and kind of like showboaty and corny. Okay. Um, we do not. Yes, I bet you. Yeah, you might. Anyway. I don't, maybe you don't. I don't know. Not, not in London. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> not in <laughs> South London. Um, exactly. Yeah. He does this, a celebration where he takes this like racket out of his imaginary sheath, like a sword, like a samurai or something. And then he also wore this like uh, Australian hat that he got in, I think, Tarragon or wherever he played his junior warm-up event. And then he started his speech by saying, G'day, mate, in this very Aussie accent. And just kind of 
goofy and jokey and 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 yeah and, and oda in the wheelchair was the same kind of thing like this very sort of like they both had like big tiktoker energy it's hard to describe but like they were both kind of like personalities up there i, I, uh, I enjoyed his, his press conference yeah um, it was funny sakamoto yeah sakamoto when someone someone asked him you know if he was going to play junior tournaments for, for for the end of the year or go to seniors and he said i will be big man <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm saying some other smaller notes not results wise i wanted to do do you want my praise or my criticism for this tournament first which i, I have one positive thing one negative thing to say which one do you want first? negative first <laughs> negative first i i feel like such a snob or a jerk when i try to express my disdain for the tackiness of this louis vuitton case that they made for these trophies it's just much more visible when you're in the stadium. They leave this like this like suitcase, which they which they had and they got press releases about this for the tournament. They were doing this this like Louis Vuitton product placement to put the trophy in a box. The trophy never needed a box. Now never, this never needed to be a thing. But now they have this like Louis Vuitton product placement big luggage sitting out courtside, and like displaying logos of it everywhere. And it's so tacky and nouveau riche, and just like thirsty. I don't know. I'm not a big labels person, obviously. Why, why do you feel like it's not? saying that because i'm saying like people who like are being label horses are just like tacky and thirsty and they're doing it on a tournament level and having and like when they when they did the, the unboxing at the beginning of the men's final and they had Ana de armas which is actually kind of a big get to get do this really goofy stupid thing if you're gonna bring Ana de armas to a tennis tournament how do you more than open a box just putting that out there uh, but she's i guess a louis vuitton ambassador for their brand and she was there with jim courier unboxing this trophy which we all know what it looks like and it just was silly. And the box was so big and just sitting on the side of the court. And they, when they're doing the unboxing, they like flash Louis Vuitton logos all over the, the screens around the, the court. I, I just, I don't know. I just think that like having this thing that never needed a box and then getting this like designer to be like, we have a designer box now. We are luxury. It's like, just, it's, it's like, it's thirsty to me. I don't know. I, 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 that kind of, that's not my aesthetic whatsoever. I like, I like more, you know, be yourself. You don't need to like impress anybody and show off like your, money or your luxury with this Louis Vuitton thing. I, I mean, I, I agree. I actually, you know, if, if a person, if they want to have a Louis Vuitton bag, whatever, but I agree that having a trophy case is just completely... Right, if you, if you want If that, it was a little trophy case, a it would Vuitton be unnecessary. Because it's like, it's well-made or it's like, you know, nice and you it makes you feel fancy or whatever and it's, and it's like craftsmanship should be good for that price, you would hope. Yeah, that's great, but this is like a thing that didn't exist previously. Yes. The box, the trophy comes in. It just struck me as in a tournament that's like the most commercial of the four slams, I think, by a good margin. I think US Open gets knocked for that, but this tournament for me is much more commercial. This was like a new level of like, what can we sell next? Let's build a box around the trophy and doing it to the trophy and having it like on the court so clearly during the final. I thought it was it was tacky. I did not enjoy it. Speaking of the commercial nature of the tournament, my I've my negative thing, and I think I only have a negative thing to say because <laughs> I hadn't planned, but it's the so this year marks the first time um, over a million people have been through the gates yes. at, at the Australian which Open. They're very proud of, which they're very proud of. Which you know, every day we'd be getting updates on the tournament figures and the amount of people coming through the gates, and every day it was a record, basically, almost every day it was mm-hmm. a record. And there were way too many people on that grounds this year, yeah, it was crazy. It's pretty good. It's too much. And the other thing they had that didn't work on this side, this wasn't my criticism, but it, they had this system where for I was mostly seeing it for Kia Arena, which is one I was right next to, where you could like leave but like reserve your seat. So a lot of times there were empty seats in the stadium 
and people waiting. Like yeah, the, yeah. the Andy Murray match um, against Echeverry, which was put on Key Arena, which was ridiculous. That had like long lines. And I was like, these people are never getting in. Like that was put on too small a court. It's overcrowded. Like you should not, there should not be infinite capacity at these tournaments. No. It should not be more, 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 more. A million is clearly too much. I had this, I wasn't spending as much time around the grounds this time, so I don't know how overfilled courts were. And obviously this tournament also has more non-court things to do. More like food courts, more sort of live acts, you know, clownery, whatever. They have people being entertained by. I see clownery, it's not as a judgment. It's like there's actual clowns and jesters of the court uh, around. And so, yeah, I don't know how much it affected fan experience, but at the U.S. Open certainly was negative. And the U.S. Open was overcrowded yeah. last year. And it, you just, it, if you're going to add 10,000 more people, make room for them. And the other thing that affects this, which someone pointed out to me, which is definitely true, is having only two matches on the stadium. Uh, during the day session also makes so it so people, people are more people, out of the yeah, grounds. Yeah. That, that floods the rest of the grounds of those people who are no longer in the stadium for longer. So it's it's a problem. It's greed. And it's uh, I understand people wanting to come. It's not good if they sell out the tournaments, you know, but this is too much. A positive thing I wanted to say about the tournament on a, which has been some people disagree with in my mentions, some people do agree with. I don't know where you think. I don't know if we've talked about this or not. I think the best thing this tournament did that I hope catches on widely is letting fans in after every game of the match, not just at the sit-down changeover TV breaks. I thought this was a huge benefit when I was trying to go watch matches in person, which I would was almost always labor at this tournament as it worked out. Being able to not have to time it for the exact window of the every other game thing, being able to go every game, especially at the beginning of a set, you know, because you have to wait three games for a changeover then, or at the end of a set when there's a whole tie break sometimes that can take a lot longer as well, and you have to miss that whole thing. The way that they were just like, yep, go in, get your seat, be quick about it, it was fine. And there were a couple times when people would be sitting like literally front row of the section right behind the players where they would cause a little bit of delay. That was rare. And after getting being confused by it in the first round, players got used to it and didn't complain. And I think it's I think it's great to have fans who pay for matches not be marooned and stranded out on the corridor for 20 minutes at a time because they have bladders or because they want to get a drink or all these other biological functions that you need as a person having a time. It shouldn't be some sort of endurance event to be at a tennis tournament. And yes, there, there were, I got some, when I said this on Twitter, I got some feedback people like, they were in my way, they blocked my view. Like maybe one person blocked your view for one point, you can deal. Like for overall quality of life of the tournament, I thought it was tremendous. I've said this for years about the every game thing. I hope it catches on, not every point, not every point. And sometimes they were doing every point for like upper decks. They're letting people in the upper decks yeah. all the time. But for lower decks, for lower bowl, every game, add an extra 20, 30 seconds to let people settle down. I think it's so worth it. You see about 100 or so people coming in each time, around maybe more, around the, maybe 200 around the stadium. I think it makes it a much more uh, humane experience. I'm very into it. I applaud them for that. I didn't think they'd be the first tournament to do that, but they did. It hadn't really been announced when it started, which I think is why there was player uh, confusion and complaint. But... And including the ridiculous complaint from from Jordan Thompson, who said that this was quote the wokest tournament ever, which is one of the dumbest things a tennis player has ever said on court. Uh, to think that letting and, people uh, walk is woke and of and of court yeah. in general, yeah. it's one of the dumbest <laughs> one of the, things. One yeah. of the iconically dumbest quotes from a tennis player ever. So congratulations to Jordan Thompson for that. Just goofiness. Yeah, I I thought it was meaningfully great and increased my enjoyment of the tournament. And three cheers for that. How do you feel about I, I, I generally agree. I think I'd like to see them just be more efficient with getting people to their seats and before and maybe closing, allowing people to come through, but closing the gate early enough for people, to, you know, people who have entered the court to get to their seats quickly instead of, you know, the, the players 
being ready to serve and people are still walking through the, the gate, if, it, if that makes sense. I guess, but it, it, that's the thing. Like, if the players have to wait 15 seconds and take a beat between yeah. games, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm also that fine. That, for me, I'm, in match time management, is time well spent. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the players having to wait, but I, I do hear fans who be sitting there and, you know, being obstructed by some person who's just like looking around trying to find their seat for, yeah. for 30 seconds. And when it was an issue, the only times I saw it be an issue is when someone's first coming in doesn't know where they're sitting. Yeah. And then also if they're sitting like literally in the front row and they go all the way down to the very bottom of, of the bowl, which you kind of enter from the top and, and labor. Yeah. Um, and that caused sometimes uh, maybe a delay of 10 more seconds. But for me, it's worth it. It should be fan friendly. I, I think that's that's great. If Wimbledon doesn't want to do it, wants to stay stodgy, wants to keep people waiting out in the hallways for 10, 15 minutes at a time. Because it can be long. It can be thing. very long, yeah. I mean, and so just to, to be more understanding about it, I thought it was a really positive step. Uh, people talk about, you know, music during play or whatever else, but this one to me felt well executed and I applaud the Australian. And it, you guys know I'm tough on tennis, I'll show you, and the Australian Open, but this one I thought was actually super duper. Good. So we'll end on that positive note. Wow. Um, this doesn't happen often <laughs> around here. We can listen to the men's episode. We had lots of negative notes. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to the show. Any other parts of your trip that you've uh, enjoyed or noted um, in being in Australia? Yes. I had my mom here for the first time. I'll say that was fun for me, getting her to the tournament. And her and her friend, my longtime friend, uh, Nora, was here. Yeah, that was uh, nice having her in a different perspective and seeing non-tennis people showing them the tennis kind of stuff is it was interesting to get it's like fresh eyes and see what stands out to them and stuff. Um, and just having a lovely time in Australia as a country as well. Yeah. It's nice. I like. I hadn't been here last year. It's nice being back. It's a nice way to spend a month of winter. Yep. I'm just happy to be away from the cold and the rain in, in England. I'm going back tomorrow to my cold and rain in, in D.C. Um, and snow. We had a lot of snow I missed. But uh, just honestly, even just for like, I mean, it's for like mental health of being where there's daylight and like warmth. It's It's good. Recommend it. You can become an elite tennis player and get to go to Australia. Do it. Yep. Agreed. Thank you, Tamani. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, please get the book, Naomi Osaka, Her Journey to Finding Your Power and Voice. And if you have gotten the book, you can leave reviews on Goodreads or Amazon. I said that before, but I really appreciate it. Or whatever, some sort of local retailer you want to do it at. But those are the big ones that get aggregated globally. There's some events coming up in some cities. If you uh, are in these cities, in D.C., we have a book event in February 10th at Politics and Prose, 5 p.m. on Saturday there courtney will be there remember courtney for the show you guys remember her she's back hopefully we'll get her on ncr soon tbd but she'll be there doing the conversation with me that'll be fun and also doing one in new york with nick mccarvel uh on february 21st at housing works in manhattan soho so those should both be fun if you're in either of those cities yet february 10th in dc february 21st which is a wednesday i think in new york and thank you very much and hope to see you there and we'll see you on ncr sometime in the future Bye, folks. Bye.